narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. As we explore the American experience, all the way back to some of the roots of the problems that have maintained and stayed with this country, we need to make sure we assess and review the voices that lived during some of the harsher times. And it's very easy to sort of gloss over some of the more gory details and think of things just simply as slavery existed, slavery was wrong, but slavery is something that's in the past and to try to move on from it relatively quickly and easily. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks reading Frederick Douglass's narrative, which is an essential part of understanding not just American literature, but the overall American experience. Because we maintain the fact that as a nation, something that we've been exploring already this year, that until people feel comfortable, people feel like there's opportunity, people feel that there is equality and true equality, that we are going to be a nation that's going to struggle to be cohesive. So it's extremely important that we analyze Frederick Douglass's narrative to truly understand and grasp what it really meant to be a slave. There are many, many slave narratives that we could read, but because Frederick Douglass was able to not just start his life off as a slave, but that he was a self-taught man who upon becoming free didn't just fade into the oblivion to live a quiet life. He moved to the forefront of the movement, the movement for equality, not just for slaves, African-Americans, for the black community, but for women as well. He's such an important American figure that historically we'll spend time in class going over his bio. But in this podcast, we're really going to focus on the bigger issues that are expressed in the various chapters. There's going to be a little bit of an overview, a lot of focus on the actual content and some of the questions that we might have about this experience. Reading Frederick Douglass's narrative is not meant to make you feel good. It's not also meant to make you feel bad. It's made to, mench- to make you feel. Feel something. To think about what this would be if this was your life. If this was the life of someone you cared about. What he's writing about here in this narrative is true. It's what happened. And it's what happened to thousands and thousands of slaves over a really extended period of time. Millions of slaves were impacted and lived a life similar to Frederick. And the fact that Frederick was able to escape to write about it should be incredibly valued. 
because while we are trying to learn from past mistakes, we're also trying to establish and learn about the American experience. And not just the American experience of people who are on the side of the winners or the people in power, but the people who feel disenfranchised, who feel like they've been inadequately represented providing a voice to the voiceless, which Frederick Douglass does in this powerful narrative. So while this should not be an enjoyable experience, it is one that is a, an important one and is an essential part of our American literature course. Chapter one. It's really important right off the bat that Frederick Douglass walks us through every aspect of the life of a slave. I think sometimes it gets lost on students why he's doing this because it's mentioned in the intro, it's mentioned in some of the writing that is done in some of the excerpts that we're going to be reading that people were completely unaware of what the life of a slave was like. And as we've talked about before, it's very easy if it's not in your face constantly or you're not aware of it or you didn't grow up around it just to sort of accept it as a sort of a thing that occurred that you don't really have any sort of ability to comprehend. Chapter one starts off with Frederick establishing right off the bat that he does not know his age. So the thing we have to keep in mind for this entire narrative is that it is essential to the dehumanization of slaves. Every aspect of their life is meant to demean and to, min and to diminish what makes them human. And that can't be lost or just sort of glossed over. Oh, they don't know their age. That's kind of weird. You got to know. You got to really dwell on that. Think about if you didn't know how old you were. And this is not one of those jokes where you, you were born on a leap year, on leap, on leap day. Okay. And you get to make that joke about how old you are. This is about literally not understanding, not knowing how old you are because no one knows your birth date. We need to think about this and we need to focus on this. He believes that he's 27 or 28 at the time he writes the book. He's jealous in the opening paragraph. He talks about being jealous of the white children who know their ages, know their birth dates. And it is not something that is part of the slave culture. He knows his mother's name, Harriet Bailey. He believes his father is probably his master, but it's never discussed. It's just something that is a possibility, highly likely. We don't get any details of their relationship, but we can think about it from a way that's probably not very positive. So this idea that Frederick Douglass is born into a world where his own age 
is, is removed from him. He has a name. He does not have a father. His father potentially is his master who seems to have zero real relationship with the mother, which we have to allude to the possibilities of sexual assault and rape. And that his mother, after working an entire day, would travel through the night, which she believes was around 20 miles, to come be with him. And up until he was seven years old, he has this experience with not talking to his mother, but having this physical connection. And even in that point, it's really important to understand that they separated babies from their mothers at a very early age, before 12 months. Sent the baby to an older woman at another plantation so that she could take care of the child to separate that human connection. What that does to a a child, what that does to a mother, what does that do to a family? There is no family. It's been removed. You cannot think about this as just something that occurred. You have to really try to feel it and think about your own existence and peel away the different layers to understand just the extent of what slaves went through in a country that was priding itself on equality. And we've talked about this with the American Revolution. That fought under this premise of this great opportunity, new leadership, new era, but yet slavery continued to exist. And the actual execution of slavery was not something that was just here were people that were bought and sold, but they were taken care of in between. Now, this was a complete breakdown of what it means to be human. And our American experience as a collective country cannot be looked at in a positive light when there are people within the society being dehumanized in this way. It's pointed out in chapter one that many of the mixed race children who were on these plantations would be treated really poorly by the wife of the master with the implication that this was their children. The wife feeling obviously cheated on. And many of these mixed kids were sold to harsher plantations further into the South because the wife didn't want the physical embodiment of of their husband's infidelity in their face every day. You have to think what it would mean for a person being the man to sell off his child and the mindset that that person isn't a person, that child isn't his child. 
Okay, it really speaks. We're going to say this a lot. This dehumanization, that treating someone less than a person. Frederick Douglass brings up that there's a religious context to this situation. That many of the slave owners were able to connect this to the Bible with the descendants of Ham. But at this point in time, so many slaves have been born in the United States. That American slavery became a right that stretched beyond this very weak biblical idea. So as he moves through chapter one, he starts talking about the plantation life. He talks about the different people who were slave masters, slave drivers. And while some of us might relate to it in the sense of having a boss or having an authority figure in your life, it's not the same. And one of the things that Frederick Douglass does point out consistently is that slavery not only impacted the slaves, but it changed and altered the behavior and mindset, both short-term and long-term, of the people who owned slaves and the people who had to punish slaves. It would change their attitude and their outlook, and in many ways it dehumanized the slave master the slave driver as well. He talks about these men being hardened by slavery. Desensitized would be the word we'd use. We throw around a lot of these words fairly consistently. Desensitized is one we hear about a lot when it comes to violence. It is a real thing that if you're in a culture, excuse me, if you're in a society where part of that culture is to remove the culture of the slaves, to diminish the culture of the slaves. And in that society, the rules are that you can punish as violent as you want. As long as you didn't break the property, then at some point in time, if you start believing that that's just the job, what is that going to do to the person themselves? How does that person continue to act in society. So we need to think about that and think about in chapter one how it ends with Aunt Hester being brutally whipped as Frederick watches on, feeling like this was the opening to a bloody gates that he would have to then eventually face himself. A lot is established in chapter one, and it's really important that you start to feel what Frederick Douglass is going through, that he has these memories ingrained in his mind that define his upbringing, that changed his outlook. And while it's easy to say that he has overcome because he's telling this story and he's lived to tell this story, You have to understand that this is not a sense of pride. This is a sense of of a horrible experience that he is sharing in an effort to put an end to it. It's a sense of obligation and duty. He could have easily 
decided to keep a low profile. He chose not to. He chose to challenge what was going on and try to make people aware. This was published in 1845. He spent some close to 20 plus years as a slave. And everything that occurred throughout his existence up until then prepared him to then become the face of a movement towards equality that still has long-term effects on our nation that remain present in, all, in some ways even today. So this, as we read this, and I'll, I'll wrap up chapter one with this, this is not simply a story about the past. It is definitely a story about what slavery was. But we need to also analyze this. Are there ways and elements of the treatment of slaves that then remained as the institution of slavery was removed. So keep the focus on the dehumanization. Keep the focus on the idea of property, what it means to be free, and just how free people are within a society where equality is constantly being questioned. Chapter 2. Chapter two, there are three major points that we're going to talk about. And we are, we are going to dig into the characters, okay? We are going to talk about the various slave masters, slave drivers, um, owners that Frederick has. But I want to use this space as much as possible to talk about some of the bigger picture items that we're going to be using for our essays and for our writing purposes and discussion purposes. Okay, so don't think because we're skipping over some of the character names that they're not important. Okay, so we are going to go over that in class, but I want to use this space to discuss some of the bigger issues, especially as we analyze the dehumanization factor that went into the life of a slave. In chapter two, he explains that many slaves were punished out of example. But to set the tone as a slave master or a slave driver, you punish one slave so severely that other slaves would hopefully fall in line. This tactic is not unheard of. You can see it sometimes even in school or on a sports team or to whatever you're participating in, where someone gets in trouble that seems to be extensive, an effort to send a message to everybody else. The difference in this scenario is if people are already not understanding their birth date, living incredibly harsh lives, to then go above and beyond to keep them in, in, in line with just more brutality speaks to a system that, number one, doesn't value their life beyond what they can pr produce, but also speaks to a system that is run through fear and violence. Okay? If you are ruling a group of people from a leadership position, and the only way you can establish 
your own goals is through establishing a sense of fear that you're afraid that if things get too out of control, too wild, that they could rebel, they could overthrow you. In the simple academic atmosphere, it would be the kids are too wild in the classroom. You might think about a middle school or a lower school. In this case, the slave masters, the slave owners are considering this a threat to their power system. That they have to be incredibly harsh. They have to rule over the slaves in this way because they themselves are fearful of a potential rebellion. And what does that mean to them? In this chapter, we get a rundown of what they were given from a food allowance, which was monthly, and then clothing that they were given once a year. The monthly food allowance was eight pounds of pork or the equivalent in fish and one bushel of cornmeal. And the yearly, the yearly clothing consisted of two coarse linen shirts, one pair of linen trousers, one jacket, one winter trousers, one pair of stockings, a cloth, one pair of shoes. And then the allowance of what would be given to children would be given to the mother, and then they would have very little clothing as well. It even goes as far as saying many children were naked until the end of a period where they, the mother could then possibly pay, or father could pay for new clothing. They weren't given very much and there was even less opportunity to buy replacements. As it, was, as it states here, when the clothing failed them, they were naked until the next allowance day. Okay? So as we continue to, to analyze the dehumanization, we already have removed their age. We've removed the family unit. We've removed the connection between a parent to the child. We have the element of constant threat of violence, the constant threat of being sold. We're now seeing the limit or the limitation on food and then the quality of clothing that was being given to them. And in a situation where you got what you got until it gives out and until the next time you could potentially earn enough allowance to then buy new clothing. Frederick goes even further into explaining what the daily life was like all day working. And then when work was done, that was the time to do the personal work. That was when the mending of clothes was done, the preparing of meals. That was the fixing of their homes. That was an all-day work environment where into the night things had to be taken care of that couldn't be taken care of during the day because the workday was sun up, the sun down. People just collapsed to sleep. Adults had blankets. Kids usually didn't. 
and due to exhaustion, they just were huddled together until the next day they were called to get in the field and they could not be late. From a daily life experience, we are used to being very comfortable. We're used to having downtime. We're used to having extracurriculars. So as we look at society, okay, the community that slaves lived in, and we will talk about the value system, they weren't able to create their own values. They weren't able to create what was important. It was survival mode on top of the fact that they were constantly living in fear. Fear of what could happen to them, fear of a potential changeover and who's in charge, fear of being sold. Comfort was never really an option. And the last part we're going to talk about as far as chapter 2. was the idea of the power of song. Frederick didn't really understand the songs at first, but these songs that were passed down were songs of incredible sorrow. And while sometimes sounded to the untrained ear to be jovial, they were the only expression and consistent product of culture that slaves were able to have. He says, and he uses the term dehumanizing in the paragraph that we're going to look at in class, is that the lack of understanding, the lack of humanity shown from the slave owners towards the slaves, the idea of seeing them as property, and ultimately allowing to think people would listen to these songs and see them as happy. It speaks to a giant disconnect that was present in the general community. Out of sight, out of mind is a real problem. It's easy to avoid something that's not a constant. And Frederick was able to see this firsthand. And our major takeaways have to be the lack of understanding of the slave culture, what little they could produce on their own, this being songs. The daily life that they lived, the lack of food, the roughness of the clothing. We cannot underestimate what also Frederick is probably leaving out. This is a narrative that is moving pretty quickly, but he's trying to ensure that no one who reads this text or hears this text would be left feeling like, well, it's not that bad. You have to understand that there's a good chance that it's worse than what he's even depicting. And that the lack of empathy that is consistently present throughout this story. And as we'll see this on both sides from 
as Frederick begins to move north the best he can, the different people he comes across, that this is an institution that's deeply rooted in that idea that we've been talking about early on in this course, the idea of being a country of takers. And that unless we are checked, unless we get some feedback that tells us otherwise, we'll take and take and take until there's nothing left. And it just so happened that slavery for over a hundred year period was one of those things they got taken advantage of. We're going to pick up with chapter three. Make sure we're thinking about this, that idea of being takers. How does a culture and a society that has that element present move on from that? How does it learn from that? And how does it ensure that it doesn't continue to happen today? Let's continue to think about this. Let's also think about what we're seeing as far as the treatment of slaves. And while it's easy, as I said with chapter one, to just think about this as something that was in the past, are there elements from even a class structure that are still present today? Are lower class people treated less than? Are minorities treated less than? And if the, if the answer is yes, then is there a connection that goes back all the way to our foundation as a country? That's one of the questions that we're analyzing. You might not agree with it, but we're talking about it. We're thinking about it. It's important that these conversations are being had and that you're spending time thinking about the American experience. Because as I've said before, we need to look at it holistically, but we also need to break it down into segments. And this idea, this institution of slavery is something that we cannot overlook.